Turn with me in your Bibles to two places, Luke chapter 24, and then we'll be reading from Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is on page 909 in the Pew Bible, and Luke 24 is on 885. Beginning with Luke chapter 24 and verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And in in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you in heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the ascended Christ, that the grave and that death had no sting over you, and that the grave had no victory. We praise you, and we worship you, and we thank you that we do worship you, a risen and an alive and a living God. We thank you for this hour of worship. We thank you for Cody. We thank you for his preparation of this message. We pray your blessing and spirit upon him that he will impart truth to us. We thank you for his family. We thank you for his marriage with Lucy. We pray for them. We pray for their protection. We know that they are targets of Satan and that he would love nothing more than to destroy this marriage and this family. But we, uh, we claim the promise that you will keep and hold them fast, and so we rejoice in the safety that they are in, and we, again, just ask for their protection. And we do plead this, uh, that you would be with us this hour and that you would watch over us and be with us as we worship you as you sit on your eternal throne, King and God, forever. Thank you, Lord. You are so good to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over 1,600 years ago, a document was put together, a document that we know as the Apostles' Creed. Many a church over that last 1600 years has seen this document as a summation of the Christian life or the Christian way of of true sound doctrine and even greater than that you could say that it is a summation in a much fuller sense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostles' Creed begins this way. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. And you may or may not have it memorized, but it goes on from there. But what I want to ask you this morning is, what if the Apostles' Creed stopped there, the third day he rose again from the dead? Well, my desire this morning is, as we open the scriptures, is to simply say, if it did stop there, the majority of your 
New Testament Bible should not be there. In fact, so much of our hope today as believers in Jesus Christ hinges on the doctrine of the ascension of Christ. We've sung about it this morning. Almost every song that we've sung has had some pointing toward or thought about the fact that we have an ascended Christ. The Apostles' Creed goes on. It says, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. You've heard me made the statement before and others have made it prior to myself and that is that maybe the forgotten doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. You might ask somebody, a believer in Jesus Christ, what is the gospel? And they'll rightly say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Oh yes, but is that it? No, 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 there's more. What happened? What happened? Well, he's still in the grave. No, no, and the third day he rose again from that. Oh, that's what, what else? And it typically stops there. And we actually may, could make the case that the ascension is the forgotten doctrine. And I want to just simply this morning spend time looking at the implications of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And we'll spend the majority of our time in Luke 24. But I think this doctrine that is so rarely spoken about holds in its grasp gems that that are to be mined and, and, and seen and put on that pedestal as, as hope and encouragement for our lives. Calvin, John Calvin put it this way, we may patiently pass through this life with its misery, cold, contempt, reproaches and other troubles, content with this one thing, that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our warfare ended, we are called to triumph. Calvin couldn't say that unless Christ had ascended. Look with me in Luke 24 and 50 through 53. Let me point out to you a, a few words that will structure our time of study. Looking at verse 50, we're going to look first at He led them out. The leading of Jesus Christ. And then we'll look at lifting up His hands. The, the lifting there. And then finally, leaving. He was carried up into heaven. Parted from them. Leading, lifting, leaving. Number one here, leading. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. It's a, it's a simple phrase. And yet, as is so often the case with our Bibles, some of the most grand and glorious events in history are summarized in the shortest of phrases. And she gave birth to a son. The incarnation of Jesus Christ summed up in a simple sentence. And he died. And he wept. 
We could go on and on. It's the simplest of sentences that seem to hold the most profound truths. Because the the point of that simple half of a sentence there, then he led them out as far as Bethany, is this is what we could argue is the point of his coming, is to leave. Go with me in your Bibles a few pages to your left to Luke chapter 9, verse 31. We would rightly say that Christ in his in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so many of these uh, in instances in these gospels is Christ looking forward to the passion, moving toward Jerusalem, getting ready for his trial, getting ready for his death, his burial, his resurrection. But in chapter nine of verse of, of Luke, we have this account of the transfiguration. We, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, go with Christ up onto this mountain and they see the, the pre-glorified Christ. Verse 29, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. I want you to notice what they were talking about in verse 31. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That Greek word there is actually mean, uh, contrives this idea of exodus. Moses and Elijah knew well about an exodus. You see, what we have in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 50 there. Is this idea where Christ is leading his people to an exodus. It's the second Adam. A new race, if you will. A spiritual one. Moses had had led the people out. God's people leading them out to the promised land. Jacob, even, had done some of these things. Adam... But here we have the second Adam. And how much would this have been an encouragement to the believers in that time? Which we could see who those people were in Acts chapter 1 verse 12. It lists them there. Who had, the, who had Christ. And, and here he is yet again leading them. He's been leading them all along. He is their leader after all. And their leader is leading them out. And it's not just leading them to the Mount of Olives. He is, in a sense, leading them and preparing for them, as we will see this morning. Going before them, blazing the trail, however you want to say it, to that glorious land that is heaven. Christ is leading. Look at, though, what he does as he's After he leads them to Bethany, he lifts up his hands. Number two, lifting. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. I don't know about you, but I I think Thomas, doubting Thomas, Thomas that doubted no longer, standing on that mount, what, what a means of grace it is. That those hands that he had one time seen as pierced, 
as blood-stained, flesh-torn, those hands that he could still see those prints in and yet, yet now scarred over and those hands now lifted in blessing. And, and the way that the passage actually is, is, is spoken about, as he lifted up his hands, he blessed them and, and the last that they had with Christ was a time of blessing. Christ pronouncing the benediction over them. And these hands lifted up as he's taken up into glory. We can think of number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And here Christ is pronouncing a a blessing upon them. His hands lifted in blessing. And Moses we could think of. These disciples would have known about Moses and having his hands actually held up. Interceding for the Israelites in battle. Or Jacob placing his hands upon his sons as he prepared to die and blessing them. And here Christ, right before his departure, is leaving them while, while blessing them. We could, we could make the case that one of the reasons we are blessed today, that phrase, Christians will say, how are you doing? Well, I'm blessed. Why? Because the blessing of Christ is still upon us. He's still working that out as the ascended Christ. And those hands are still lifted in blessing over us because those hands were pierced for us. Then finally, leaving. Remember verse 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. He's still leading here in this passage, while leaving because he must be lifted up and not to some uh, poofy place. He's going to a throne room. Probably almost all of us have heard of the testimony of one of the first men in space who came back and said, I I looked and I didn't see it. Couldn't find heaven, couldn't see God. Well, as the Chronicles of Narnia puts it, as C.S. Lewis Lewis puts it, it's because you don't have eyes to see it. He's bodily there. In fact, in fact, he had to go. What would a resurrection be without an ascension? Think about that. Lazarus, he's risen from the grave. What does he get after that? Death. So, oh man, got, got a second chance at this. To die again. But the ascension... That Christ was ascended, confirms the resurrection and assures triumph over death. That because Christ will not ever die yet again, we too can know that when we are raised with Christ, we will never perish. You can begin to see even in this two verses here, so much packed in. He was carried up into heaven. He bodily went up. It wasn't some Cape Canaveral thing of of rocket engines flaming below his feet as he boosted into the air. No, it was a simple fleshly going up into glory. In fact, that simplicity had to be there because he went in flesh to a heavenly place Thus providing access for our flesh to be there. 
He went in flesh, thus providing a way for our flesh. Charles Wesley wrote the great hymn of the faith, Christ the Lord is risen today. It puts it this way, vain the stone, the watch, the seal, alleluia. Christ hath burst the gates of hell, alleluia. Death in vain forbids his rise, alleluia. Christ hath opened paradise, alleluia. You probably have never heard this verse that we don't sing but included in the original manuscript. Soar we now where Christ hath led. We, we've sung this one. Alleluia. Following our exalted head. Alleluia. Made like him, like him we rise. Alleluia. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. We have assurance of ascension because he ascended leading the way for us. In our remaining time, I, I want to offer to you, and I don't know if we'll get through all of these, ten, ten implications, if you will, for our Christian life that hinge on the doctrine of ascension. Or you could say ten implications of having a bodily, in the flesh, ruling and reigning prophet, priest, and king. And if I can't get to all of them, then this would be a good reason to come on Wednesday evening Bible study and hear the rest. Ten. And I trust that by the power of the Spirit, this will be strengthened to your soul this morning. Number one. As Christians, we have no end to our good, triumphant King. The grave could not hold Christ and earth could not corrupt Him. All of hell, while Christ was bodily here, sought to contaminate the second Adam and could not. He is the triumphant king and, and the enemy of enemies threw his very best at him and could not hold him. And he is no less triumphantly ruling and reigning now and there is no end to that. There may be a political end to whatever political ideology you hold to and then it shifts to the other direction. It's the way, that's the way it goes in America. Left, right, right, left, back and forth all the time. But for the Christian, there is no end to the perfect king. Hebrews 1 verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things what happens in Washington or Austin. Oh sure, it matters and God is in control. But in the grand scheme of things, you have a heavenly citizenship. And it's all perfect. And he's ruling and reigning. And he will see that his, his decrees are carried out in the way he determines. And that's for your life. He's a personal king. Number two. All of Christ's enemies and ours will be crushed, including death. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that Christ led captivity captive. That is, he took sin that is our captor in our unsaved state and he captured captivity. He captured sin. He triumphed over it. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Can I ask you this morning, have you had 
the sin that has held your soul captive to the obedience of Satan and not Christ been captured by the love of Jesus Christ and his death, atonement, resurrection, and ascension for you. It can be yours today, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Your sin can be captured and and taken by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And you, in exchange, will get eternal life. And not just eternal life. An inheritance that is beyond all inheritances. Will you repent of your sin? Will you trust Christ? Will you stop holding to your sin and trying to hold it captive while it holds you captive? And will you allow Christ to be that which is ruling and reigning? Because he is ruling and reigning whether you want him to or not. But will you allow him to have control over your heart? And even for the Christian this morning, the application is here that we have a good and triumphant king and we will we allow him to triumphantly reign over us or will we hold the computer screen to our own desires and where we can hold or whatever it is and not allow him to have reign over that. He does. And he will. Number three. Christ is the final judge of all. What's the word this morning? The confirmation hearings keep going on. There's no confirmation hearing needed for this final judge. He's already at the bench. And he is the final judge. Acts chapter 10 verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Number four, our plight is continually brought before the Father by Christ. Our plight is continually brought before the Father by Christ. If Christ has not ascended, this is not true for you today. But he is. And therefore, your plight, whatever it might be, is continually brought before the Father by Christ. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, active tense, interceding for us. Because he's ascended. Bodily standing there, interceding for your soul. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. If Jesus has gone into glory, how successful must our prayers be? You send a petition to court and hope for its success, for it is drawn up in proper style, it has been countersigned by an influential person, but when the person who has backed your plea for you is himself at court, to take the petition, present it there, you feel even more confident. Today our prayers do not only receive our Savior's sanction, but they are presented by his own hand just like his own requests. Spurgeon puts it well. Puts it in ways you can see. Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest. Verse 15. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted. As we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Our plight is continually brought before the Father by Christ. Whatever it is. Will you take it to Christ? He knows. And he will take it before the God of the universe. We sang this morning, behold our God. 
Number five, we're halfway there. There's hope. Number five, our final home is currently in preparation by Christ. I've been helping the past couple weeks, David Thompson and their family as they try to move into their new home and helping them with cabinets and such. And the anticipation of this home that is right out their back door and, and as, it, as the paint goes on and as the trim goes on and as the cabinet goes in here and a light bulb turns on there and that anticipation of, we're almost there. I can move in and more space and this and that. Your home is far better than what you could dream about and it is currently being prepared for by Christ. John 14, 2-3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. You know, how warm is it when you have a friend who lives in another state? And as the, as the phone call is, is ending, he says, listen, if you ever come by this way, we've got a room for you. Tom Burdett, leave the light, we'll leave the light on for you, right? It's, it's this warm idea that Christ, our, our Savior and King, but also our friend and brother, has a place he, He's preparing for us. And it's not some, you know, empty room with four walls and, and, and maybe a hard plank across the ground. This is the glory of heaven. Because He's ascended. Number six. Christ sends the power that sustained him to dwell in us until his return. I hope that you would be able to come on Sunday earlier in the morning to Sunday school and look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit with us. But Christ sends the power that sustained him, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us until his return. Think about that. The power that sustained Christ under the wrath of God, was sent by Christ to dwell in you until He returns. I don't, I don't know how bad your life might be right now, but I can guarantee you it's not under the full, unadulterated wrath of the Father. So if He can bear up Christ in that greatest hour, surely He can help us through our, our need. Acts 2, verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which we'll study in the coming weeks. Number seven. The Christian has a lifelong hope and encouragement. And I want you to notice I said the Christian. Because if you're not a Christian. This isn't true of you. But the Christian has lifelong hope and encouragement. And we could add that transcends any of our circumstances. Let me just read a few passages. Philippians 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. 1 Thessalonians verse four, chapter 4, verse 15 through 18. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know how Paul ends that? Verse 18, therefore, and encourage one another with these words. Meaning if you're, if you die, you're gonna get to see him before those who are alive. It's not that bad. First Thessalonians 5. Verses 9 through 11, Paul continues. For God has not destined us for wrath. If that's not enough to have lifelong hope and encouragement, I don't know what else is. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The Christian has lifelong hope and encouragement. Hebrews 12, 3, Consider him, Jesus Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why do we consider him? Because the power of the Holy Spirit that got him through is the one that lives in you. So if it worked there, it'll get you through too. Number eight, Relief is coming for the Christian from persecution and suffering by the hands of others. Now let's just be frank. There is persecution in America. But none of us have lost a loved one or even probably property lately because of our stand for Jesus Christ. I personally think the day is coming in America where the physical persecution that we may hear of our brothers and sisters in North Korea or in China or in Saudi Arabia or wherever it might be, will be true for us as well. And for even the persecution that is in America, maybe not bodily, but certainly there's quite a bit of social persecution and pressure to conform to the ways of the world and to, and to deny Christ. Relief is coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Therefore we ourselves... Boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to replay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Number nine, for the Christian, the best is yet to come. For the Christian, the best is yet to come. Second Peter three thirteen. but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Today is... A better can if for the Christian is can always be a better day than yesterday, and tomorrow, no matter how difficult it may be, can, it is a, is a better day today simply for the idea that we're that much closer to the return of Christ, and that it's 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 that much closer that this will all in its frailty and and as Calvin put it, misery and cold be over, and we have 
the wonder of being with Christ, who is ascended, fleshly, touching him, seeing him. Last number 10, we got through all of them. Number 10. Our king is coming soon. How does, how does your scriptures end? What's the last thing those who compiled the canon wanted us to hear? What is the, the last idea? What is the last word given to the Apostle John as he's writing the book of Revelation? As he's being, as he's seeing this vision, what is the last words? It's three different times in Revelation 22, chapter, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. And behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He's coming soon. Lucy and I have, my wife and I have been spending some time going through the Chronicles of Narnia. And the picture in the, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is, is, is white. You know, there's, it's been winter for years and years and years. There's no warmth. There's nothing that's happening here. But what sustains them through these Narnians, that sustains them through this time of persecution, is this idea, as the beavers tell the children, Aslan is on the move. He's coming. And he gets them through. Go back in your Bibles to Luke 24. What is, what is our response to this? Well, it's modeled well for us in verse 52 of Luke 24. And this is where we'll close. Notice what they do. Their savior and friend, their brother, their leader, their teacher has been carried up into heaven and notice what the response is and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God it ends the way it began how did the beginning of Christ's life on this earth in bodily form begin with great joy fear not the angel said in Luke 2 verse 10 for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people and here yet again and return to Jerusalem with great joy Alistair Begg puts it in a whimsical way that maybe those who Luke was dictating if he did dictating the the the, the gospel of Luke 2 he may have said and, and put it down this way and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with joy no 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 put 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 good joy no 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 great joy it, it's inexplicable they've just lost their best friend He's gone into the heavens and yet what are they doing? Returning with great joy. Why? Because he's, he's alive. He's ascended and he's, he's returning. And so they worship. Revelation 5 verse 12. They have, and we do every Sunday and, and every day as believers in Christ, we join with the many, even currently around the throne now, Revelation 5.12 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That is their worship and that is ours as well. 
And it is with great joy. And the Christian life may not always be marked by happiness, but it can be marked by great joy. We can say, because of the ascended Christ, it is well with our souls. And then notice, we're continually in the temple blessing God. This idea of praising God. They were joining together with others in praise to God. And that is to be our work as well. Worship, great joy, praising God. So there, there's, there's fresh grace for this this week. God gives us each, each day fresh grace. New grace. Mercies are new every morning. So let, let's be those who are seeking to work on this worship, great joy, and praising Him. Because the, the catalyst for this worship, great joy, and praising was the ascended Christ. And it's to be the catalyst for our response in the same way. The same God that these disciples were worshiping with great joy and praising is your God. Is your Savior. Is your ascended Christ. Is your King. And may that be the impetus as we consider these things and dwell on them. And I trust as the Holy Spirit presses them into your heart. May that be the the response that comes forth in fruit. The ascension of Christ is a wonderful doctrine and I trust that it will be an encouragement to your soul this week. Let's pray. Father, 40, 40 minutes. A list of verses. This isn't enough to do justice to the glory of what it is to have our Christ currently ruling and reigning, having ascended to the throne and the promise of descending to take us up. Father, what a joy it is to know. And we trust by the power of your spirit, we will grow in our knowledge of this promise that you are coming soon. And so whether soon is this afternoon or soon is tomorrow or soon is 500 years from now, may we be those who are by your grace being faithful and watchful in anticipation of that glorious day. And oh, what a glorious day it'll be. Sustain us, hold us fast to that day. We want to see Christ. We want to see the faith that you have given us consummated in physical sight as well. We want to see voices that crack when we sing made made strong to sing like never before. We want to have hearts that are constrained by flesh and able to withstand the, the glory and the joy and the energy and the passion and the pure physical delight of being in the presence of our Savior and King. Father, we pray that as we as we go from this place, as we go out to be witnesses in the workplace, in the homes this week, that this doctrine, this truth of the ascended Christ 
would be an enabling grace for us this week. All for your glory and your glory alone. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.